Hey, this episode of the Adventist Millennial Podcast is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. What's the and more? Well, you'll have to go to their website to find out. Thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Yo, it's the last day of May. We're about to hit summer. I hope you guys are all prepared to sweat to death because hashtag global warming um today i want to share an interview with you that i did in response to a couple episodes ago when i was talking about don't convert anyone and just love them uh one or two people had mild issues with that so it needed some clarification so my mom and dad who both said <clears throat> you need to clarify what you meant when you said la 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 because you know your parents always think they know what you need to say on your podcast and then strong arm you into saying it. no just kidding <laughs> um but I wanted them to come on and talk about their interpretation of what I talked about and how they might give a more nuanced explanation um so yeah I hope you enjoy and if you want to get in touch you can always drop me a line via email adventistmillennial at gmail.com you can always tweet me send me a message on instagram or facebook at sda millennial uh you can get on the slack uh yeah and I will see you guys on the other side of this interview thanks for coming on the podcast again after a recent episode and you had a bone to pick with what i said i said well why don't you come on the podcast and talk about it yourself so here so we, are. we hopped on a plane <laughs> it's the only reason we're here exactly to rebut my talking points from the previous podcast episode so we're going to talk about um what it means really to love other people because I had a tirade a few episodes ago about why we shouldn't necessarily convert people to Adventism and to just, you know, love them. And my and mom said, well, yeah, but how do you know exactly what that means? And so, um, so I said, explain thyself. I understand what you were, what question you were asking because as a kid, I had a huge difficulty with the idea that loving other people or the model that we saw of Jesus was that you just had to basically become a doormat and everybody could just take advantage of you and you couldn't do anything about it and you just had to turn the other cheek and be giving and you know that was it and I always struggled with that surprisingly because (laughs) I don't like to um Uh, accommodate other people i guess so i guess what my question is is that how you see love and if not how else would you define it well i i had the same struggles myself i didn't know um any other way but to just do what everybody else said and accommodate others but i have come to realize that just because you um, agree, not necessarily agree, but you 
do what others ask you to do or you don't speak up um, for yourself or defend yourself or any of that sort of thing that you're being loving when in fact you're not because by not um, speaking up sometimes um, the other person is really damaging themselves and you're just it's not really love on your part but a bit selfish because you don't want to deal with it and you don't want to have to um, deal with um, the conflict and so you just let them do whatever they do or ask you to do even though you don't agree with it and you don't think it's right you just do it just to keep the peace um, for me that I've learned is really selfishness not love so in other words you're saying it's biblical to clap back like for example if someone confronts you about supposedly taking their parking space <laughs> you can clap back in Christian love no. How about you? How would you how would you describe what love is? Love is maybe almost the opposite of what we usually think of and Leslie already alluded to the idea that a lot of what we do as love is selfishness. But in what way like how? Because we normally think the way we judge whether we've done something loving is whether the person reacts back like you know they're really happy or they want to be our friend that tells me that I did something loving and we're we're built to want that so that that feels like you know it any and a successful episode of doing something loving i think uh becoming a dad really helped me figure out that I have to try to think what's best for the person I'm loving and do that regardless of whether that helps them be better friends with me. Sometimes kids just don't want you to do what's right for them or they don't have the capacity to understand it. And as the person who's already been through a certain part of life, you have to do things that for your kids and you do it for their sake, you know, so they will prosper or so even, you know, at a lower level. So just to keep them safe, that's the loving thing to do is what's good for the other person, even if it causes you to have to sacrifice a part of your relationship with them or, you know, in horrible circumstances, maybe even your life. Yeah. So just, I mean, it's not just doing things that will get you validation from the other person. An example is a child who needs to have his immunizations done. I know that's a hot topic, but <laughs> um, if... Maybe the child is wiser than you and they just know <laughs> that big immunization disaster you know they're gonna they're not gonna like you very much 
because they're going to get a shot and you may have to hold them down. But you know ultimately that it's going to protect them, their health, and they'll be mad at you for a little bit, but it's something that as a parent you um, put up with. You're not going to always be their friend. You're also going to do what's right for them. But would you say that it also requires you to have some kind of substantial relationship with someone to actually love them in that way? Because in that way, like doing something yeah. that they're going to perceive as mm-hmm. maybe even attacking them. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I, you know, if if I'm at church and some stranger walks up to me in the parking lot, obviously un, very unkempt and maybe, you know, not walking straight and ask me for some money, I'm, that's not, for me, that's not the time to... Try to teach them. <laughs> to parent them, yeah. <laughs> you know, that encounter, if I do something unusual for them, might it might attract them to Jesus. I'm not trying to attract them to myself if I'm if I'm doing love right. But there something that goes right along with love is personal freedom. Mm-hmm. And the less responsibility you have for someone, the more you have to respect their personal freedom. But we're ne- I don't think we're ever in the right to to not love them. So there's times when you might do something for somebody like that that you wouldn't do for your own kid because you know the context yeah. and you know. So, but that's what makes it. I mean, it's not always easy to tell what what is the loving thing to do. That's what makes it complex because it depends, first of all, on the state of the other person. It depends on your relationship with them. It depends on what you think is the (laughs) selfless thing to do or the thing that's good for the other person and whether you're actually right about that. I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into it that sometimes makes it a little bit gray as to what's the right thing to do. I agree with that. Um, It is Sometimes you have to, well, a lot of times I think you have to look into your motivation for doing whatever it is you're doing and ask yourself, am I really doing this for their benefit or am I doing this for my benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, an example, another um, parent-child example is you're in the grocery store and your kid wants a candy bar and you know that um, if you if they get that candy bar it's not really something that they need or something that's healthy for them but they pitch a fit and have a temper tantrum and instead of um, trying to deal with people staring at you, um, judging you as a parent, you go ahead and give them the candy bar, even though you know it's not the best thing um, for them, and you know that it's 
um, going to be worse the next time because you've given in, um, but you're, you don't want to have to deal with uh, the discomfort of people judging you. So really what you're doing is instead of being loving to the, your child, you're really just being selfish and protecting your yourself. pride <laughs> yes yeah well and uh, you were telling me the other day about what you have to deal with a lot at your job and the nuances of trying to d determine what's actually helpful for people and what's our responsibility as christians to help people uh can you describe that a little bit well i i work in a church office and um, because we're a church um, we get a lot of people um, coming to our doors asking for handouts because we're a church and um, sometimes it's not always I mean we're there the reason we're there is to help people um, we have our uh, community outreach program and that is the purpose for the program is to help the needy and and help those that need help but sometimes it's hard to know um, who really needs help and who's just gaming the system so it's it's not always easy to be able to tell what is best for that individual am I just delaying the fact that they need to get um, help? I mean, other than just handouts or... Um, so what do you think is the right thing? Because because you d guys deal with this a lot at the church and there are a lot of people who are just trying to, as you say, game the system or just get as much um, out of other people's generosity as possible. Is, is it our responsibility as Christians to just help them even if it enables them? Or what what is the right course of action, do you think? I mean, I think this is a situation that all Christians struggle with, of like, you know, panhandlers or whoever. Should we help them or should we? what, what should we do as the loving thing to do? I see it quite differently in my own personal life than than the church organization giving help so the you know the the food pantry and the the things that we do as an organization helping people i think should be very structured i personally don't believe that an organization can love mm. so an organization is just a group of people but we, we tend to, because, like, I was born into Adventism, and so it's very hard for me not to think of Adventism as a, a thing that I'm part of. And so I may want my church to love people, but really, our church has very limited ability and so we have to, you know, check in people's stories. We have to, you know, we have to 
parse things out so that several people get help, not just the same person, all that kind of stuff. When someone comes to me personally that I don't know, I feel much more constrained to do something just because that that might be attractive to the person for for Christ but I don't I don't think and maybe it goes back again to this idea that love is really more of a principle than than we give it credit for the church should not be you know just because someone shows up at the door they shouldn't scrap all of their policies I think it's right to try to help those who need the most help it's right to try to help our own um, church members we should we should know more about them so you know we know that they really need help that kind of thing so I don't I don't think there's any real I don't see a di- dichotomy between b- having fairly strict rules that we go by as an organization and some people will be mad but at, at least at our church we have a number of people that are are becoming part of our fellowship because you know of the of the ministry but they also received people who are blacklisted <laughs> Um, well, yes, we do. In fact, there's one lady that stole one of the pastor's purse. So, yes, yeah, she's blacklisted. <laughs> wow, that's so unchristian. No, um, but no, this is a this is a question that what's the line between being willing to sacrifice um, and swallow your own pride for other people and being exploited all the time? Because like for example do you think god feels exploited by us all the time because we do that and a lot and a lot of the times it is intentional like just read the book of hosea and you can see the example of that's kind of the takeaway is like sometimes god has to be okay with us exploiting his love and maybe sometimes we have to be okay with that for each other but where's the line you you have to decide that individually I think and I know that um, you'll will we'll be taken advantage of but that's between them and the Lord that's how I think about it um, if I feel but doesn't that go against what we said earlier of to just do something for someone because it makes you feel less guilty is not actually the right thing to do for them the loving thing to do for them is that opposed no no i see no there's a difference in my mind because if i feel like they really do need help and it's something that i can do to help them i'll be more than happy to help them but if i feel like they're just gaming the system then i'm not as you know open to just um helping them game the system well aren't and aren't you kind of saying that you may help some people that you feel good about helping but it turns out you know god knows they were actually gaming the system that's not your yeah that's not my responsibility um yeah yeah i don't think there's i don't 
two thoughts cross my mind. One is we can be probably a lot more generous, all of us, because we really are, it's pervasive to want to have that love bounce back to us, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's going to be a lifelong thing to try to get over. The other thing that's different between the love we have to share and the love God has to share is that he's infinite. So it's kind of almost silly to say, take advantage of God because no matter how much you take from him, it's infinitesimal compared to what he has to give to you. And you are actually his child. You know, if you've been a a parent, you realize even if they really they they really do take everything from you, you're that's the one relationship where you come closest to having completely unselfish love. You know, you're willing to give everything yeah. to your kid even if even if you know on some level they're taking advantage of you. So I think yeah. it's very different than a church organization because in reality our our or our resources in an organization are quite limited compared to, you know, God. Yeah. Well, but God runs the organization and his resources are <laughs> What do you think? I mean, we've talked a lot about sort of the question of the people we see around us who are in need that we don't necessarily have relationships. And I think everybody has kind of turned that question over in their mind as Christians of what's our duty. But then what about like people we do know who we have personal relationships, but who continually um, abuse that relationship with us? What is our responsibility to them? When do we like start cutting people out of our lives and, and things like that? Well, I've also learned that it's healthy to have boundaries. And you need to be able to set those boundaries because if you don't, it starts to um, erode um, on, on you as a person. So once again, I think it's something that everybody just has to, to work out. It's but what's the criteria for that? It's something that I have come across very rarely that, I mean, where someone is truly abusing the relationship with me, and maybe that's, I mean, you know, people that have listened to you know that you're not relationship rich, well, (coughs) your dad, so... Maybe you're the one that's abusing all your relationships. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe maybe everyone is exactly... (laughs) But I, for in my personal life, I'm so far from that problem. I mean, my problem is to learn to be more generous and, and you know, happier to be self-sacrificing to where I do it enough that I find somebody that wants to take <laughs> advantage of me. <laughs> when that happens, then I'll decide. So did you hear that, all you grifters out there? Here's a yeah. mark just waiting. That's waiting right. for the validation of being taken advantage of. <laughs> I, I think there's, uh, you know, no matter how hard we struggle with love intellectually, it's it, it, 
that's kind of for me what sanctification is all about is figuring out how to love people and it's going to be a lifelong it's not tyrannizing struggle. your own actions <laughs> it, it's it's just opposite of what we want to do and and we have to practice that it our whole lives I think you need to attach loving with the word unselfishly. Yeah, helps a lot. Yeah, it helps, and um, it's but it still makes it difficult to know because we don't always understand our motivations, and that's what makes it such a gray area. I think for your own individual self. Be as wildly loving as you as you want to be, as unselfish and exploited. Yeah, exploited as you want, but don't ask your the organization that you're part of or the country that you're part of to force Meet your standard of force the whole organization to do what you think is loving because again. Um, something that goes right along with love is is freedom and individuals need to be much more loving but individuals also also need to be a lot less pushy with what they think is loving yeah okay here's something that i just thought of but maybe i'm not remembering the bible story so correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard some people say that Jesus' righteous anger and going in the temple was out of some kind of, you know, justice for everyone or whatever, implementing his standard of love basically on the people in the temple that were exploiting everyone else. Okay, but then on the other hand, you also have, wasn't Judas embezzling money and he never did anything about that? No, none of the disciples wrote about it anyway. I mean, so if he was, if a huge burden for him was to go around and tell everyone else how they needed to apply his ideas about how to treat other people, you know, mm-hmm. he he didn't do that. And Judas, it came. I mean, he had his consequences, but it wasn't because someone went and told him. Well, for for anybody listening out there that enjoys Ellen White, she's pretty explicit about what he was doing, both at the beginning and the end of his ministry when he cleansed the temple. His righteous anger had to do with the the horrible mischaracterization that he saw being implemented by the organization about his father that's that's what he was correcting it did it had nothing to do with the what we're talking about here with um you know them taking advantage Mm -hmm. of i mean that stuff was going on but that was a symptom of of what was the real issue the the Priests and rulers were teaching the poor people that God was requiring a blood sacrifice without any understanding of why. 
And so they were developing a picture of God that was of an angry, unloving father. That's that's what, that's the issue there. And not only that, but they were also requiring the people to um, pay with the um, temple coin. So the exchange of money and and taking advantage of that exchange um, by increasing the the amount that they were having to pay made God look like he was greedy. I mean, the whole system made God look terrible. And the people thought that they had to do all this stuff to to get approval or love from God when it had nothing to do with it. So basically what you're saying is, it's really complicated. There are a lot of gray areas, and most of the time your own motivations are unclear and you're doing the selfish thing. So good luck, everyone. Well, I yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think that if Jesus came back now, he would be pretty upset with, some a lot of Christian organizations because they're still teaching silliness about about God. You know, the idea that God would require Jesus' blood versus all the animal sacrifices, it really needs to be deeply understood the same way those sacrifices, if you didn't understand them, didn't help you. If you don't understand why Jesus had to die, you're just as much in danger of of worshiping a God who you can't figure out how to love him. <laughs> Aha! So you're saying you do agree with me that we shouldn't convert people. Actually, I do. <laughs> I I really like your your statement that we should just love people where I get where I struggle with is uh actually implementing that for myself. Yeah. We've 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 just grown up thinking that the church is God's representative. And so it seems like if you bring people into the church, you're bringing them to God. That's not always the case. I'm scared that it's rarely the case. As difficult as it as it is, what do you think is your one one piece of advice for for people who want to try to start working all of this out don't give up figuring out what it is what love really is my one piece of advice would be to spend any time you want to however much you're willing to spend learning to love trying to look at god and understand him uh the obviously the best place is jesus life but Everything you do should be trying to understand why God has done everything the way he has. His claim is that he is a God of love. And so if that is true, then there should be, you should be able to, you should be able to, by looking at him and the way he does things, learn how to be loving yourself. I think we're on shaky ground if we figure out how to 
love because at least for myself the things that I've learned about myself is that you know I'm not unselfish uh, I'm not looking out for other people's first I'm not really willing to die for other people the kind of things that we hear from Jesus and the apostles yeah it's definitely the harder thing to do and I think a lot of most of the time we trick ourselves into thinking that's what we're doing when we're not Okay, well, thank you guys for coming on and clarifying and expanding. This was really interesting to me, and hopefully it was to everyone else. If you have any thoughts, questions, rebuttals, email me at adventsmillennial at gmail.com. Send me an Instagram message on, or Twitter or Facebook at SDA Millennial, and we'll see you next week.